up, Megan? What's up? <laughs> I've got some peanut butter M&Ms on one side of me and a glass of Prosecco on the other. Sounds perfect. I'm living large right now. I love it. Sup with you? Mm. Oh, there's that smile again. Things are great. Michelle's Twitter pated. <laughs> Things are great. Good. That's amazing. Yep. Oh, I haven't even told you this story yet. What? Um, I went to a movie on Saturday night. Oh, yeah. That's right. You were going to go to a movie this weekend. Yes. We did dinner in a movie. What movie? Well, that's what I would like to tell you about. Uh-oh. It's called X. Okay. I think I had told you about the movie beforehand because Brittany Snow is in it and I know you love her. Yes, she's great. Yes. And it's a horror film, which I love and I know you do not. Pass. I know. But he also loves horror films. And okay. so it felt like a good choice for us. Felt right. It did. The previews for this movie... And if you really want to go see it, and this is going to be a spoiler for you, then just hit the 30 second forward a couple times. And like no one cares that much about a horror movie, do they? I would warn you right now to not see it. And let me tell you why. (laughs) So the premise is that this group of younger folk are going to go film a porn. And it's like the late 70s. They want to do Debbie Does Dallas, but like with more cinematic flair and more of a story. And I mean, I'm uh, in for that part. Right, exactly. They are renting this little guest house on a farm. And of course, things go south, right? That's what I expected. And the farmer who owns this place, an old gentleman, very old. In the previews, he talks about his wife is like kind of not okay. She gets confused sometimes. So you know that the old lady's going to be a problem. Okay. As it turns out, the crux of the whole movie, like the plot really, is that this old lady feels very sexually frustrated. Oh. And is really needing to feel desired by her husband who is scared to do anything about that because he's going to have a heart attack. And (laughs) so she is a complete voyeur and is now watching these people through the windows as they film this porn. Okay. And then she goes on a murderous rampage. One of the women who's involved in this is clearly to the old lady's liking and she does a full-on get naked and get in bed and like fondle and stroke and cuddle this girl while she's sleeping is that the horror part because that sounds horrifying (laughs) it was fucking horrifying but then again i'm spoiling everything if you want to watch this don't listen but i'm gonna suggest you don't also don't sue us movie studio (laughs) eventually she convinces the old man to like give the heart a test run and do the thing And so that happens. And I don't know what kind of prosthetic wrinkly skin these people had on, but it was, (laughs) I swear to God, imagine like a 140-year-old couple. Ew. No joke. That does sound terrifying. And then it's like a full three-minute sex scene. Really? Yes. I thought it would take them a little longer. (laughs) And the result of all this is that my movie choosing privileges have been revoked for a while. I can see why. (laughs) I'm on timeout. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, that, that was sounds awful. part of my weekend. It <laughs> it was really something. Did it seem like anyone in the theater was enjoying it? Or was everyone just like, oh my God. I mean, you don't go to that kind of movie if you're not in it for the jump scares and the gore and mm-hmm. that stuff. And so there were a few times where people <clears throat> literally screamed because something happened so quickly and startling, right? Yeah. And there were a lot of groans and uncomfortable wrestling around <laughs> of coats and like stuff. visually. Just <laughs> uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Fortunately, we were at a theater with drinks. They weren't great drinks, but still, that would have been hard to get through without (laughs) margarita in my hand. You're like pushing the button over and over again. I was looking away and I kept trying to peek like, is it over yet? Nope, still going. Dear God. 
That theater is great. I mean, I know we have a few of those, but I like that one in particular because you can just put your little order on the slip of paper and push the button and then they... That would be Cinnabar for you you listeners at home. Mm. So that has literally nothing to do with our topic today, but I just thought I'd get that off my chest and tell you all that I'm in restriction. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds disgusting. Yeah, it was bad. I'm glad you learned your lesson. Real bad. And uh, in three months when you get to choose a movie again, (laughs) let us know what the next one is. Cool. It's going to be Caligula. Yeah, I would take a chance on horror <laughs> are you i have a fairly good track record and this is a very unfortunate first pick for me to take him to well, a theater and try a little <laughs> rusty after covid that's true or so. let's blame covid yeah okay we're gonna blame covid Fucking COVID. just one more reason scapegoat for everything that's fine all right so what are we talking about today we're gonna talk about codependency which i guess that old couple had some codependency issues <laughs> well i'm glad i wouldn't know <laughs> right When we were reading about this, I was kind of surprised because I had a little different definition in my head of what codependency is than what it actually is. Right. Although to say what it actually is, is interesting since it's apparently not a recognized... Well, it's not a diagnosis. Diagnosis. That's the word I was searching for. I always thought it was like two people who can't live without each other, basically. And when I say live, I mean like function in their daily lives. do everything together and they're constantly hanging on each other that kind of thing right and they have nothing else going on but each other and they can't go out without each other and stuff Mm -hmm. and apparently the official definition of codependency is when there is one person that has all kinds of issues keeping their shit together and the other person is kind of the martyr in the relationship the caretaker yeah keeps them on track keeps them moving keeps them organized at the expense of their own right. sense of self enables them make excuses for them there's typically actually one person in the relationship that does have their shit together but they sort of sacrifice mm-hmm. everything else in their life to keep this one person on track so it's a bit different definition than what i understood to be codependent yeah. it's one of those words that we throw around like when we say oh someone's crazy or oh, right. there are official definitions so or whatever right. yeah yeah and it's all derogatory and these things mean a specific thing and that's mm-hmm. not how they get used kind of collectively colloquially and every day. So yeah, it was really interesting. The whole concept seems to have started centered on addiction in the 80s. They were talking about like in Alcoholics Anonymous, Mm -hmm. the idea that someone is dependent on this substance and the people in their lives when trying to help them are cleaning up after them and their messes and taking care of them rather than doing things that would actually help them get through this period. So it, it ends up enabling them. So is there one person in the relationship that's deemed to be the codependent person or is just the relationship in general identified as a codependent relationship? It sounds like it's the person. So which one is the The giver? Okay. Something I read from Mental Health America says that codependency is a learned behavior that can be passed down from one generation to another. It's an emotional and behavioral condition that affects an individual's ability to have a healthy, mutually satisfying relationship. It's also known as relationship addiction because people with codependency often form or maintain relationships that are one-sided emotionally destructive and or abusive. So it's the person that say, for the sake of description here, I want to take care of you. I'm the caretaker, right? And you've got well, that sounds right. some problem. <laughs> we'll get there, friend. <laughs> yeah, I have a little bit of experience with this in my past. So I would be the one who's codependent. 
and I need you to need me. That's right. It was saying that the person who is codependent, this is typically like a learned behavior. So like maybe they grew up in a house where dad or mom was a raging alcoholic. And then they observed the other spouse constantly cleaning up after them, enabling Mm -hmm. them, taking care of them. That's how you love someone. Right. So they learn that this is what you do in a relationship. And so then when they are an adult, they kind of seek out relationships where they're that giver, which is the person who is cleaning up, enabling, taking care of everything. Mm -hmm. And then they tend to form a pattern of those kinds of relationships. Right. And it's not just romantic relationships at all. It can be family dynamic. It can be at work. It can be anywhere. Any relationship you have, you can be that codependent person who's giving more of yourself than you're getting back. That's interesting. And I thought of it more in terms of romantic relationships or partnerships, but that's true. You can definitely be a codependent friend. Like I'm thinking of some people we know who have a pattern with friends of always having these friends that need them to like take care of them when they're out or clean up their messes or make sure they get home. And if you're somebody who is a kind of caretaker by nature and you feel responsible for other people, then it becomes really easy for those on the other side of that to take advantage of it and to rely on it. And then that's just a cycle. Like it's just going to continue. Right. So how do you break the cycle? Fuck if I know, man. (laughs) Actually, I think one of the articles said the only way you really can break the cycle is by getting diagnosed, which it's not a formal diagnosis, but like if you were to go to therapy and your counselor were to recognize these codependent traits and explain, you know, what you're doing and basically you have to dive into your past, figure out where it came from. And it's through kind of like education and therapy, which is sort of the way that you try to approach all things, (laughs) correcting a lot of behavior, right? Yeah. There's no pill, you know, like there's antidepressants, there's no anti-codependent behavior pill you can take. Although if part of the problem that's leading to that is like anxiety and stuff, which absolutely can contribute, then I'm sure that might help you. Yeah, it might help you make the right steps to remove yourself and change your behavior. Frankly, I think that you can do all the work that you want to, you can go to therapy, you can do all the fucking work and you can realize all the ways that you are that person and that you are enabling someone else. I think most of the time it will probably take removing yourself from that relationship. Right. Which if it's family, if it's your kid, you can't necessarily do that. I know that there are people who have divorced themselves from a toxic parent. Yeah. And that often has a lot to do with that sort of behavior. Right. So, you know, it gets a little sticky in those scenarios, but I don't know how successful you're going to be if you're the one doing all the work because you're already the one doing all the work. You're the one in the relationship as the codependent person who is taking care of everybody else and or that one person putting yourself last all the time, just not dealing with your own needs because you need to make sure that they are okay. Or exhausted because you are dealing with your own needs and everyone else's right. or and your partner's. Right. I just think that I can relate to this, like being a person who has put in a lot, done a lot of the work, and then is also the one who's willing to work on myself and figure out my shit. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. that only does so much if the other person is not willing to also work on their shit and figure things out. Right. And be better. Well, and if you're constantly rescuing baby birds, there might be a reason for that, right? Yeah, I've stopped that. 
<laughs> That's good. Finally, Broke the cycle. Finally stopped rescuing fucking broken winged baby birds. <laughs> Those asshole baby Those birds. Those asshole baby birds. Yeah, you know, I've talked about this a lot on air and off that I am drawn to people with struggles Mm -hmm. and I do want to take care of people and I want to help and I want to be that person for them. And it's fucking draining. So I've spent some time trying to figure out like, how do I not stop that completely? Because I am still someone who, you know, I want to keep caring about people and trying to take care of people, but it needs to be reciprocated, right? So how do I stop putting myself last all the time? Making yourself small, I think it's how you refer to it. That's how I always thought of it. I made myself small just to make sure that everybody else had what they need. And I'm fucking over it. Well, okay. Let me just read you some characteristics of codependent people. Can I check them off as you go? (laughs) (laughs) I will admit a couple of these made me think about you. Uh And this is from Mental Health America. An exaggerated sense of responsibility for the actions of others. Check. A tendency to confuse love and pity with the tendency to love people they can pity and rescue. God damn it. (laughs) A tendency to do more than their share all of the time. Mm -hmm. A tendency to become hurt when people don't recognize their efforts. An unhealthy dependence on relationships. The codependent will do anything to hold on to a relationship to avoid the feeling of abandonment. Hmm. I'm not asking you to identify. No, I know. I'm just, I'm trying to hear them as objectively as I can and see if I feel like that applies. That one, not so much for me, but yes, for others. Okay. An extreme need for approval and recognition, a sense of guilt when asserting themselves. Yes. (laughs) A compelling need to control others, lack of trust in self and or others, fear of being abandoned or alone. Yeah. Difficulty identifying feelings. You do not have that problem. Don't have that problem. Rigidity or difficulty adjusting to change. Kind of. Problems with intimacy or boundaries. Chronic anger. I don't think you have that. Lying and dishonesty. You don't have that. I did as a child. My mom will tell you all about all the times I lied. (laughs) Poor communications. No. And difficulty making decisions. Mm, I've got a good half of those. Here are some questions you can ask yourself to identify signs of codependency. Okay. Do you keep quiet to avoid arguments? Are you always worried about others' opinion of you? Have you ever lived with someone with an alcohol or drug problem? Have you ever lived with someone who hits or belittles you? Are the opinions of others more important than your own? Do you have difficulty adjusting to changes at work or at home? Do you feel rejected when significant others spend time with friends? Do you doubt your ability to be who you want to be? There's like 20 of these, so I'm not going to keep reading them. But if you are identifying with several of those questions or saying, yes, Mm -hmm. that's me, then those are signs that maybe you should take a deeper look. Yes, exactly. I will say that I feel like in, in the list you gave of the characteristics, I was sort of thinking about my past self Mm -hmm. um, and identifying with a lot of those. And then as you're asking those questions, I'm thinking about my present self and I don't. When you say identify. present, what is the time frame you're talking about? Um, I feel like over the last couple of years, I've grown mm. a lot in that way. So I'm not thinking about, you know, last month or whatever, oh, but no. also not 10 years ago. Really in the last couple of years. Yeah. Since I've been in more consistent therapy. And uh, doing this podcast. And doing this <laughs> fucking podcast. Just yeah. Um, I do think that, I mean, it's hard. 
It's hard to get over your shit. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I'm over it, but I'm working on it. Well, that's a huge step ahead. A lot of people. So cheers. Come to along that. with me, folks. <laughs> Come <laughs> along on this ride. I don't want to be ahead of people. I want you all to be doing everything mm-hmm. that you can do for yourselves. See, there you are. Trying to save everyone. Bring them along. (laughs) Come on. Let's go. I'll come back and get you. I got you. Come on. Let me help you. Yeah. Without going into detail about specific prior relationships, it's kind of hard to give examples of any of this. And I don't want to do that. But I will say that the whole, quote, not commuting to date thing. That was one of the things that really contributed to me feeling like I was making myself small all the time. Like I am putting my needs last. I am making sure everybody else is taken care of first. I am the one doing the drive more often than not. And it was just kind of one more way that it manifested. Mm -hmm. And so it became this beacon of everything that was wrong, you know? Huh. That's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. Well, I think this is actually a pretty good segue to talk about interdependent relationships. Yes, the gold standard. Right. Obviously, if you're in a relationship, and again, this can be any kind of relationship, but let's talk about romantic relationships so that we can kind of focus in one area here. Mm -hmm. You should be connected. You should depend on each other for some things. You should have a level of intimacy. And if you're totally independent all the time, and I don't need you for anything, like why are you in that relationship at all, right? You have needs and that person is filling those needs in some way. But when you have an interdependent relationship instead of a codependent relationship, it's a really healthy way because each person can retain their sense of self and still have needs fulfilled by the other. I thought it was you don't need the person, but you want the person. That's certainly one way to look at it. But when I say you have needs that are being fulfilled... You're a sexual person. So in that relationship, hopefully your sexual needs are being fulfilled, that kind of thing. That doesn't mean you need them to function in your everyday life, Mm -hmm. like need them, you know? Yeah. This seems like a long thing to read, but I kind of just want to read it. It's an article from Psych Central by Darlene Lancer called Codependency versus Interdependency. And it says, what makes interconnections healthy is interdependency, not codependency. Paradoxically, interdependency requires two people capable of autonomy, the ability to function independently. When couples love each other, it's normal to feel attached, to desire closeness, to be concerned for each other, and to depend on each other. Their lives are intertwined, and they're affected by and need each other. However... They share power equally and take responsibility for their own feelings, actions, and contributions to the relationship because they have self-esteem. That's another thing is that codependent folks often have fairly low self-esteem and need the other person to need them for that sense of validation. Right. So because they have self-esteem, they can manage their thoughts and feelings on their own and don't have to control someone else to feel okay. They can allow for each other's differences and honor each other's separateness. Thus, they're not afraid to be honest. They can listen to their partner's feelings and needs without feeling guilty or becoming defensive. Since their self-esteem doesn't depend on their partner, they don't fear intimacy and independence doesn't threaten the relationship. In fact, the relationship gives them each more freedom. There's mutual respect and support for each other's personal goals, but both are committed to the relationship. That sounds like two very secure people. Right. Healthy, secure people equals healthy, secure relationship. That's the hope. So get yourself to that healthy and secure spot and then go looking. (laughs) Come to therapy with me. (laughs) Most people out there looking are not healthy and secure. (laughs) Pondering the dating app experience. Oh, yes, for sure. (laughs) There is one thing I'd like to read to you, Miss Megan. Hmm. Take it a little farther here. Is it a jab? No, it's not. It's (laughs) It's maybe shining a light. Okay. I don't know. 
This is from an article for Very Well Mind by Jody Clark called How to Build a Relationship Based on Interdependence. It says, as valuable as having a sense of independence is, taken to an extreme, this can actually get in the way of us being able to connect emotionally with others in a meaningful way. Emotional intimacy with a partner can be difficult to achieve, even scary, or not seen as particularly valuable in a relationship for those who have an extraordinary sense of independence. So for those of you who are very jab, I know it's not a jab. You're taking it in the negative personal way. And I mean it in, I see you, I know you, right? (laughs) The independence that you have, you are fine. You are happy with your life. You are good on your own. You can take care of shit. That doesn't mean you don't want a partner, but you've got your shit handled. And I think part of why you're able to have your shit handled every day so well is that you have built yourself this little world, not little world. That sounds diminutive. Castle? Sure. I I wouldn't mind being in a castle. Okay, you've built yourself this castle (laughs) with very thick bricks for walls (laughs) that makes it hard for anyone to come in. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, you're protective and that's a good thing. But I think that we had opposite problems. Like yeah. I was on the other end. I was the codependent person. I was going to do everything for you and you make you love me and all that shit. And you're the opposite of that. The way too independent. Well, we always say that, you know, everything's a spectrum and that you and I could always meet in the middle, meet in the middle a little bit <laughs> and more. And be better off. Yeah. That's right. So, so work your way to the middle with me. <laughs> okay. I'm going to work on it. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to let that drawbridge down a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. Yep. To let the tall ones in first because they'll be able to reach. <laughs> you figured out my strategy. Yes. <laughs> Do it. See what you catch. Yeah. There better be a moat there so I can keep fishing. There's definitely a moat. One thing I really enjoyed about this research is this article I was quoting from earlier from Mental Health America that talks about dysfunctional families. Mm-hmm. And it actually describes what a dysfunctional family is. Oh, I mean, I feel like that probably takes many forms, but let's it hear it. It says, a dysfunctional family is one in which members suffer from fear, anger, pain, or shame that is ignored or denied. Underlying problems may include any of the following. An addiction by a family member to drugs, alcohol, relationships, work, food, sex, or gambling. The existence of physical, emotional, or sexual abuse. Or the presence of a family member suffering from a chronic mental or physical illness. And then it says, this is my favorite part. Dysfunctional families do not acknowledge that problems exist. (laughs) That sounds dysfunctional. They don't talk about them or confront them. As a result, family members learn to repress emotions and disregard their own needs. They become survivors. Yeah. They develop behaviors that help them deny, ignore, or avoid difficult emotions. They detach themselves. They don't talk. They don't touch. They don't confront. They don't feel. They don't trust. The identity and emotional development of the members of a dysfunctional family are often inhibited. So anyway, I thought that was really interesting because... I feel like when you say like someone's family is dysfunctional or their relationship is dysfunctional, mm-hmm. again, that's just kind of a word that it's you like throw. It's like a catch-all. Yeah, it's a word that you throw around. Yeah. And that puts a lot of like definition and parameters around it. I have to admit, I kind of laughed when they said they become survivors because aren't we all just surviving in our families? Well, yes, of course. <laughs> Those are like- the relationships that you can, well, you can escape, I guess, but it's a lot harder But you and I are both fortunate that we have families where we don't want to escape those relationships. And I would never think of my upbringing as me having survived something, you know, like unless you were talking about middle school. I, I did all right. I was such a dork, but I didn't really know it or care. I'm lucky that way. I know that. I feel fortunate that 
sure, we had our fucking problems and fought like every family does. But I actually don't know, like, I don't think I inherited this codependency that I had in me for so long. I don't think that was a thing that was like taught to me in my household because my Mm. parents were not like that. Be interesting to dive into this in therapy. I know I should try to figure it out. Although it sounds like you've pretty much conquered it. So I don't know about that. I'm aware of it, which is the big first step, right? So I'm doing better. But hearing you read that reminded me I just you know, you go down these TikTok or Instagram reel or whatever rabbit holes and flip to the next video, flip to the next video and just random shit pops up. And there was this comedian that I saw earlier today saying that his daughter, who I think was like six, had asked him if he went to therapy when he was a kid. And he's like, I just laughed and laughed and said, honey, I couldn't even tell my dad I was thirsty. (laughs) Forget talking about feelings. Like things have changed so much. Like our kids are so much more emotionally intelligent or going to be hopefully than we ever were Mm -hmm. because they're allowed to have emotions. Mm -hmm. It's fucking great concept. Even the boys. (laughs) Even the boys, maybe especially the boys should have some fucking emotions and be able to talk about them. Mm -hmm. Normalize that shit. Yeah. Speaking of kids having emotions, a funny story. (laughs) My office, my home office, as you know, is immediately above my daughter's bedroom in the basement. Yes. And today while I was working, (laughs) I heard her and it sounded like she was just sobbing. Like her whole body was being racked with sobs. And I was like, what is going on? And so I texted her and I said, are you okay? She texted me back and said, yeah, I'm laughing uncontrollably or something yeah. like that. And I was like, oh, my God, I thought you were sobbing. <laughs> Did Which you break a leg? Made What's happening? her laugh harder. I'm she sure. thought it was so funny. But I was like so worried about her. And <laughs> instead, she was just laughing so hard that maybe she was crying. I don't know. But I do that know. a lot. Big also, emotions. Also pee a little. I'd rather take that. <laughs> That's when you know it's a big emotion. <laughs> Judge by how much pee comes out on lap. Well, on that note. Okay. I don't have a whole lot else to say on this topic. I'm a touch overly independent. You're a touch codependent. You know, mm-hmm. nobody's perfect. Yep. Pobody's nerfect. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, say all the things so we can cheers. Well, y'all can find us online at ProsecoTheory.com and on Instagram at ProsecoTheory. Find the Merch of Tea Public and please rate, review, subscribe, follow wherever you listen. Tell your friends all about it. We picked up a 53rd country today, but we don't know which one it was because mm-hmm. we're starting to lose track, mm-hmm. which is a good problem to have, I suppose. Cheers out. Cheers.